right, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Alberto. As Paul said, I have the honor and privilege to lead here alongside uh, Thaddeus, our co-elder under Chief Elder uh, Jesus. And just want to thank you guys for all the love and the appreciation. Uh, I wouldn't be here without, one, the work of the Lord and his empowering presence, the Holy Spirit moving through me. Like, his mercies are new every Monday morning. Uh, and second, I wouldn't be here without my wife. Uh, my wife is the reason why I, I, am, I am still sane. Uh, I can think straight. Uh, behind every uh, sermon and decision and every thought that I have is my wife uh, weaved into that. So I want to thank you so much, Bay, for being such a great wife and empowering spouse. Uh, I have the, today we are kicking off a, a brand new sermon series, so we're going to get straight into it, called Life in the Gospel. And what we're going to do for the next three weeks is unpack certain parts of our mission statement and see how it speaks to us as, as the people of God that we want to be in this city and the part that you have to play uh, in this church family. And so this series will go through three specific parts in our mission statement. I'm going to read it out. If you were part of our new covenant membership class, you, you saw this, you, you heard a little bit about this. Uh, it reads like this. The Springs Church exists to make disciples who are being transformed by the gospel For the worship of God the Father, the mission of God the Son, by the power of God the Spirit. Uh, We believe that this sums up the purpose of the church. We are a church, a community that gathers for worship and for mission. And we want to become disciples who are being transformed by the gospel. So this week we're going to talk about gospel transformation. Next week we're going to talk about spirit-empowered worship. And then Thaddeus is going to close out this series with spirit-empowered worship mission. So gospel transformation, we believe that that gospel transformation is this ongoing renovation of the heart. Uh, We want to be continually transformed. Contrary to popular belief, once you say yes to Jesus, uh, your life just begins. Uh, The transformation isn't instantaneously, isn't a one-stop shop. Rather, it's this ongoing renovation, this ongoing transformation of becoming more and more like Jesus in every area and every aspect of life. And so today, we're going to talk about how this ongoing renovation of the heart is possible. And to do that, we're going to look at three places in the scripture. First is Genesis uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 2. That's the first page of your Bible. Next is Ezekiel chapter 47. Uh, that's a, open your Bible halfway through. After Psalm, Jeremiah, Isaiah, you'll run into Ezekiel. And lastly, we're going to look at John chapter 7. So I want to invite you to stand with me uh, to honor the reading of God's word. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for joining us. I, I too invite you to stand with us. Uh, that we may honor the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, the first words of the Bible, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Ezekiel 47, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. It says this, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. The prophet Ezekiel was having this vision. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. 
Verse 2, then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. Verse 9, and wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live wherever the river goes. Verse 10, fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engadi to Englam, it will be a place of the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are left for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Good job, church. Just one more verse. Here we go. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be finally seated. (laughs) Uh, This morning we're going to unpack a lot of scriptures. So if you love the Bible, uh, like me, this is going to be a field day uh, for you. Uh, I believe if, if, if you're interested in the scriptures, this is going to be just as refreshing and formative. Uh, this morning, we're going to work through two points. First one is the watery chaos. Second, the river of life. The watery chaos and the river of life. Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name, and uh, we thank you for this great assembly of the saints. We thank you for your people gathering as one to lift you up in worship through song, prayer, communion, checking in with one another, and the word. Uh, Lord, as the word is lifted, Holy Spirit, would you help us to come under it? Uh, Would you help us to submit our lives to this word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So point one, the watery chaos. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Notice that it says that the, that the world was formless. It was void and it was dark. There was no purpose to it. There was no structure to it. Uh, it's what the ancient Hebrews called uh, chaos. Uh, and it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the formless, voidless, purposeless, unstructured world. In the scriptures and in the ancient Near East context, the sea had incredible symbolic significance. 
When we think of the sea or when we think of the ocean, we think of picturesque sunsets and deep sea fishing or leisurely activities by the beach. But that is not what the sea represented in this ancient Near East context. In fact, the sea represented the forces of chaos and disorder in the world. Uh, The waters were not a symbol of life. Rather, they were a symbol of darkness and chaos, a symbol of uncertainty, of the darkness that was beneath the water. It was a symbol of all sorts of suffering, disaster, disorder, and darkness. In the Psalms, we see the psalmist uh, describe the chaotic nature of the sea uh, when the psalmist says that the sea is roaring. Uh, in, uh, an example of this is found in Psalm 93, verse 3 through 4. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. This wasn't just an idea in this ancient Hebrew society. In fact, ancient Near East mythology describes the sea as the chief enemy of the gods. Uh, It was a common idea that before the world could be brought into order, before the world could experience peace, the seas needed to be conquered. The psalmist in this moment reminds the people of God who are living in pagan societies who have this outlook on the sea that it is the source of all sorts of destruction and disruption in the world that the God they serve is mightier than the sea. And it says that in the beginning, the Spirit of God is so mighty that he brings about a transformation. That the Spirit of God is so mighty and so powerful that it can bring form to a formless world. The Spirit of God is so powerful and so transformative that it can bring fullness to an empty world. That the Spirit of God is so powerful and so mighty that it can bring light to a dark world, and life to a lifeless world, and God begins to create. And this world that was once formless and empty and darkness uh, consumed it is now filled with light and life, vegetation and creatures of all kind, and a man and a woman created in the image of God to enjoy the world and life with him. And we know that this is short-lived, Because this is not the world we live in. Uh, We're more familiar with the brokenness and the chaos and the disorder and the darkness. Uh, Our world that we live in personally feels formless. It feels empty. It feels void of life. And the world that we live in is not Genesis 1 and 2. The scripture says that the world that we live in is Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, we see man and woman, Adam and Eve, tempted by the enemy, and they fall from grace, and through a moment of disobedience, their once perfect connection with God and with creation has now been severed. And so now creation, instead of being the source of life, is now the source of all sorts of brokenness and disruption and chaos. Instead of creation being the source where life is enjoyed with God, now it becomes an enemy to humanity. And on top of that, a once perfect union, a perfect connection to God has now been severed. And instead of experiencing wholeness, life, and joy with the living God, now there's this great gap and chasm. And in that gap, it's not filled with the pleasure and peace of God. It's filled with all sorts of sinfulness, all sorts of disorder. 
all sorts of bondage. And the stories of the scripture is trying to get back to that world that God created with purpose, with order, with structure, with life that lived in union with humanity and in perfect union with God. And the story of the scripture is man's poor attempt to do that time after time. This world that we live in, in Genesis 3, is a fallen world, separated, marked by death, darkness, formless, empty, void, and chaotic. And the sea is a representation of that place of brokenness. The sea is this representation, this image of the chaos and disorder. And if we're honest with ourselves, it feels like we're drowning in the sea. It feels like our lives are submerged between Beneath the watery darkness, it seems like there's no sign of light and there's no sign of rescue and there's no sign of things getting better. If we're honest with ourselves, it feels like there's no sign of sin loosening its grip over your life. If we're honest, it feels like there's no sign of making ends meet this week. No signs of trust being built again. No sign of experiencing love. No sign of change, no sign of building a family. And it seems like we're drowning in despair, drowning in hopelessness, drowning in addiction, drowning in fear, drowning in doubt. And if you feel this way this morning, there's good news for you. And it's found in Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1 through 12. Let's look at it together. Point two, the river of life. Ezekiel 47, then he brought me back to the door of the temple And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. The temple represented this Hebrew place of worship. Uh, The temple was constructed, the first temple, by Solomon, and it was this place where God's presence would reside. Uh, It was intended for uh, sacrifices and worship to be carried out that would honor God. Uh, It was a place where God's presence would be hosted. And and Ezekiel is getting this vision that water is beginning to flow from the threshold of the temple. And what we see happening is is that he gets very descriptive. He says that water is flowing down from the south end of the threshold. Now, we have a picture of the image of the temple. The first one we see right here is, is, is Solomon's temple that was constructed for the worship of God. And Ezekiel is saying that water is flowing down from the south end. And what's interesting is that the south end of the temple was called the Molten Sea. And the Molten Sea is this image right here in the bottom left, if we can go to the second image, was this big brass above ground swimming pool that Solomon had constructed that was used for various purposes. Uh, Trimper Longman points out that the presence of the Molten Sea or the Brazen Sea, this big above ground swimming pool, the presence of this structure in the courtyard temple reminded the worshipers of God uh, uh, of his sovereignty over the sea reminded the worshipers of God that God is mightier than the forces of nature and rules over all the nations. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, Ian Duguide, he he teaches at Westminster, points out that the river begins in the south side of the temple. That's where the molten sea would have been located. So why does this matter? Uh, Remember that we said earlier, the sea represents chaos, The sea represents disorder. The sea represents dysfunction. The sea represents brokenness. But in Ezekiel's vision, there's this great reversal. And what he's saying is that from this sea is not flowing further brokenness or pain. 
From this sea is not flowing further destruction or chaos. Rather, he's saying this sea becomes the source of life-giving water that flows from the temple. And it transforms everything it touches. The idea is that out of darkness, out of chaos, out of destruction can flow a water that will not drown you, that will not disrupt you, that will not keep you in misery, but heals and transforms everything. We keep reading in verse 2. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate. That faces toward the east. Remember that, toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side from this molten sea, from this place that represented the place of chaos. Going on eastward with the measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through. For the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. Can you imagine this with me? A small trickle of water flowing from the temple that is slowly building up to a stream that is ankle deep, then knee deep, then waist deep. Finally, it is so deep that Ezekiel cannot pass through it. This river started with a small trickle of water, is now a full force river, and notice where it's flowing. It's flowing eastward. And commentators have pointed out that in the book of Genesis, movement toward the east always appears in the context of rebellion and sin. Uh, It is flowing toward the direction uh, that Adam and Eve walked in when they were expelled from the garden. God moved them east. After, After Cain murdered his brother Abel in Genesis 4, he moves east. Uh, The people that built the Tower of Babel, this tower that would represent humankind's ingenuity and glory that would exalt themselves and they would build a kingdom for themselves and live apart from God. Those people migrated from the east. Movement towards the east in the Old Testament represents our sinful condition of rebellion, destruction, disorder, brokenness, and pursuits of building our own kingdom that only leave the world a more broken place, that only leave the world a more hurting place to live in. But remember in this vision, there is a great reversal. The water is flowing toward the east, but it is not creating brokenness in the world. It is healing the world. The water is flowing east, and it is not destroying life. It is creating life. We continue reading. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. This This would have been the Dead Sea. When the waters flow into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so that everything will live where the river goes. 
Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Englem. It will be the place of the spreading of the nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. Its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They'll be reserved for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be food and their leaves for healing. Verse 9, everything will live where the river goes. Friends, church, family, there is a river that is bringing life to the areas in our heart that is marked by death. There is a river of transformation bringing healing to hurting people and hope to the hopeless. What we're reading about is a river of transformation that wherever it flows, it transforms. And everything that it touches, it causes it to come alive. And notice that first it transforms the region. It says that it flows east and then empties into the Dead Sea. This river transforms the Dead Sea. It transforms this 234 square mile of body of water that is not conducive for any life. It's called the Dead Sea because nothing lives there. There's no plant life. There's no fish life. There's no visible form of life that can thrive in this sea due to its high salt concentration. And in this river that Ezekiel sees in his vision, water flows into the Dead Sea. And the place that was once hostile to life now becomes transformed to life-sustaining water. Great trees begin to flourish where there was once a barren land. Swarming creatures where there was once stagnant water. Many fish of all kind. Fruit, food, provision, resources that are for your good and for your healing. This river transforms wherever it flows. We see that it transforms the region, the area, the world that we live in. But it also transforms people. In Ezekiel's vision, there's an abundance of fish of every kind. And equally, he says, an abundant Uh, an abundance of fishermen. Uh, What this means is that Ezekiel is giving us a picture of a world that is so abundant with resources, that is so fertile with opportunity, that the people of God will directly benefit from the new creation. That there's actually a way to walk into this world where instead of experiencing death and destruction and all sorts of brokenness, you can walk in this world and experience the abundance and the life that God has provided for you. This is a prophetic vision that Ezekiel is receiving. And as we read this, this this may not mean much for you and I, but it meant something to the children of Israel who are hearing this as they are exiles uh, in a foreign land oppressed by the Babylonians. Living without food, living without resources, living at the hands of an oppressor who does not care for their good. Ezekiel's circumstances are different, but the broken world he lived in is not too different from ours. And this is a prophetic vision that's given to a people who are living under Babylonian oppression, who are experiencing daily pain and daily suffering and daily hunger and daily hopelessness. And in the midst of this death that the children of God are experiencing, God speaks a word of hope. He says there's a river coming. That transforms everything. There's a river coming. That will bring life. To the dead places of your heart. There's a river coming. That will satisfy your soul. 
There's a river coming that will cleanse you of your sins. There's a river coming that will transform everything. This is a prophetic vision, church, for you and I. That lifeless area of our world and the lifeless parts in our heart can come alive with hope. It can come alive with healing. Come alive with provision, with new life. Wherever this flows, it transforms hurting people. This river heals. Hopeless home, joy is restored. Fearless futures, a God who holds the sea, holds your life with love. Transformation is possible. We can become disciples of Jesus who are being transformed by the good news of the kingdom of God. But how is this possible? Let's look at John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's look at that part that says, on the last day of the feast. What is this talking about? What's going on here in this moment in Jesus' life and ministry? The last day of the feast, this refers to the Feast of Tabernacles, which actually just happened last month. Uh, in September. It's a seven-day festival where Jews from all over the known world would make their way to the temple in Jerusalem. And it had a lot of uh, significance. One, it was a celebration of God's protection over Israel when they left Egypt. It was a festival that the children of God uh, were uh, required to uphold that helped them remember and instruct their hearts that God is a provider and that God is a protector because he provided for them in the wilderness and rescued them from the bondage of Egypt. It is also known as a harvest festival. Uh, It revolves around worshiping God and thanking him for a bountiful harvest of fruit, vegetables, cattle, and rain. Uh, This festival was known as a festival of joy. It was an annual reminder, like I said earlier, that the people of, to the people of God, that God is faithful, that he will provide, that he will make a way where there seems no way. And the highest point of this festival was called the water drawing ceremony. The water drawing ceremony. And what would happen is that fresh water would be drawn from a wellspring and carried up to the temple in jugs and in flasks. And there would be music and there would be singing and there would be dancing all night long. And they would pour this water down the steps of the temple. In the Talmud, a collection of Jewish texts, it called the water drawing ceremony the biggest party in ancient Israel. It was the high point on the Jewish calendar. This was a big deal. It was marked by joy, by life, by celebration. It was a praise party of dancing and singing. In fact, one ancient rabbi says, one who never saw the water drawing celebration has never seen joy in his life. That's how big of a deal this was. This this wasn't New Year's Eve in Times Square. It was bigger than that. It was a celebration of life and joy that was highly anticipated that all of the pilgrims, all of the Jews look forward to. And this water drawing ceremony had a few meanings. One, it was a time of prayer to God for rain. That rain, this water was the source of life for a good harvest. 
Second, there's prophetic imagery. Isaiah in chapter 44 verse 3 says, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thy offspring. It was a time of praying for the rain that was promised by the Holy Spirit and prophesied in the Old Testament. So when the people prayed for rain, physical rain, they were also believing for the rain of the Holy Spirit to fall on them as prophesied in Joel chapter 2, that it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Thirdly, it was a moment of reenacting the prophetic image we just discussed in Ezekiel 47. It was a moment of believing for God's kingdom to invade the earth. The water would be drawn and carried in big flasks um, and cisterns and jugs, and it would be poured down the steps of the temple from the south side, from that area that we just read about in Ezekiel 47, and it would create a flow of water that would mimic a small river that would symbolize that one day a transforming river of life would flow from this temple and change everything and make the world right again. This is the biggest party in ancient Israel. Hopes are high and they're celebrating and praising God. And in the midst of the celebration, in the midst of the joyful dancing and singing, in the midst of praying for an abundance of rain, in the midst of praying for the rain of the Holy Spirit and reenacting the flow of water from Ezekiel's river, Jesus stands up, crashes the party and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is the kind of stuff that got Jesus killed. Jesus crashing the biggest moment in this ancient party. And he says in the midst of all of this celebration, if you thirst, come to me. And rivers of living water will flow from your heart. Jesus says this, and immediately there's division in the crowd. Some people are celebrating, saying, this is the Christ. He has come. This is the long-awaited prophet. Why? Because Jeremiah 2.13, God calls himself the fountain of living water, a title strictly reserved for God. And when Jesus says that he can cause living waters to flow out of the heart of people, he is asserting his divinity. He is claiming to be God. Others were outraged. The Pharisees wanted him arrested and killed for blasphemy. The healing and life-giving waters that were prophesied to flow from the temple, Jesus is saying that it is available to those who believe in him. The flow of living water in Ezekiel chapter 47 that came from the temple, Jesus is saying that his body is the temple from which living waters can flow and transform everything. Jesus is saying that he is the embodiment of all that they're celebrating and all that they're praying for. The most joyful, life-giving day of the year, Jesus says, I have a joy for you that will never run dry. He's saying, I am the protector and provider. I am the bringer of the rain that leads to life. I am the source of life that can make all things new. He is the God who satisfies all of our hopes and deepest longings of our heart. 
How is this experienced? By coming to Jesus. Jesus' invitation to come to himself. Are you thirsty? Come to me and drink. And as we drink from this living water, out of our heart will flow rivers of living water. That the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has made available for you a relationship to be entered into that satisfies the deepest longings of your heart and transforms the most broken areas of your life. And it's not on the other side of you working and striving and fixing and healing. It's on the other side of submitting and receiving and letting his river of life flow through you and wash you of your sin, carry away your shame, and make all things new. Living waters that transform everything. Living water that gives way to eternal life. Life with the Father. Life with the Son. Life with the Holy Spirit. A vibrant relationship with God and submitting our lives to His Lordship by, and letting His power work in us quenches our deepest thirst and makes us come alive. This is the fulfillment of the prophetic vision we just read earlier. Remember Ezekiel 47 verse 9? Everything will live wherever this river goes. Wherever this river flows, it transforms. Hurting people are healed because this river heals. Shame is consumed by love and flooded by grace upon grace upon grace. People enslaved to sin are set free and raised with Christ to be more than conquerors through his love and through his power working through us and in us like a raging river of love. Doubt is flooded with grace. Broken hearts, broken lives can be made whole through this gospel of peace. This is the good news, church, that transformation is possible. This is the good news that the broken, the weary, the common, the ordinary, the humble, the hurting, Jesus has come to you. And he has come to transform every area and aspect of your life. And as he transforms us, what does it say? That rivers will begin to flow through our heart. The idea is that we become transformed disciples that carry rivers of living water that transformed everything. Transformed disciples transform people. Transformed disciples who allow God's grace to flow through them and submit themselves to his power and grace transform culture. Transformed disciples transform homes. Transformed disciples transform workplaces. Transformation is possible and is exclusively found in following Jesus and submitting our lives to his lordship as we follow him. Our hearts will be renovated by his grace as his river begins to erode these parts of our lives that we think can never change. And he begins to soften our hearts, smooth us out, and his river begins to carve an image. Not one that's the best version of ourselves, but who God has created us to be since the beginning. This river transforms everything. We get to verse 39, he says, This he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, whereas the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of this scripture. That the Spirit of God was poured out upon the early church. This is an incredible moment, a transition in church history where the temple no longer becomes a stationary building that we just saw on the screen. Rather, who becomes the temple? People. Who become the bearers of God's presence? People. Who become the sanctuaries that exalt the glory and goodness of God? People. 
who hosts the presence of the Almighty who in Genesis 1 spoke form and purpose and structure and life into a lifeless world? God, and now his presence resides in us. Humans become the residents for the Spirit of God. So this means that when we come to the source of transformation, now these rivers of living water flow from our heart. Rivers of living water flowing through the disciple of Jesus, transforming every area and aspect of life. Jesus, the God who raises the dead and brings life. Jesus, the God who heals and restores the broken. Jesus, the God who does not withhold hope or healing to those who turn to him. God makes his children many temples. And the source of blessing and the source of life, God wants to move in you and through you to make a lifeless world come alive in him. God wants to use you as his ambassador that transforms culture, that transforms the world, that truly makes this place a better place to live in. God uses you as we come to the river and this uncontained river begins to flow through us. And people catch hope. People catch joy. People catch a vision for Jesus that is full of life, that they may come and taste and see that he is good. We release the transforming power of the gospel to heal the spiritually dead and see them come alive when we come to Jesus, the source of life. When we jump in his river of grace and let his river flow through us. Let's close in prayer. Father, I praise you that Your word is true, your word is alive, and your word is active. Lord, I thank you for this word of hope uh, that was spoken to a hopeless world. Uh, And now we get to be on the other side of that promise. We get to see it fulfilled. What the ancients cried out for, we can now live in and bathe in and consume our lives with your presence. Lord, I praise you that there's no temple to go to. Rather, you come and make us your temple. Lord, I I, I praise you uh, that there is uh, no striving or fixing or, or acts of trying to transform ourselves. Rather, there is a river that washes away all of our burdens. Uh, Lord, I praise you that there's a river that cleanses us of our sin. Lord, I praise you that there's a river that wherever it flows, it transforms everything. And I praise you that this river is your spirit your presence that you've made available for us when we come to you. Maybe you're in this room and you're crying out for transformation and you're believing for God to do a new thing in your life. You don't know where to start and you're consuming yourself with a thousand ideas and a thousand different plans and nothing's working, friend, I have good news. Jesus stands up in the middle of your chaotic life and says, if you thirst, come to me and drink. Transition your trust, your faith, and your belief to him. And submit your life to him. And he promises fountains of living water that will flow from your heart transform everything if you find yourself in that place I invite you in your own words to pray this Lord 
would you come fill me with your empowering presence? Would you, Holy Spirit, would you help me drink of this water that never runs dry? Would you help me submerge my life in your grace and your power? help us this morning. I ask that we would experience this river of transformation right now, the way Ezekiel saw it and he stepped into. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come fall on us the way you did in Acts chapter 2 and fill these many temples with your power and presence that we would never be the same again. Would you flow through our life and transform everything that you touch? And would you help us to be open vessels that allow your power and presence to continue to flow through us that we could transform everything that we touch and everywhere that we go through your power working in us. Lord, I praise you for the promise of your spirit. I praise you that you're working in us right now. Thank you, Father.